Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Joshna Maharaj. Today on Hot Plate, awards on pause, rethinking healthy food, airline food at sea level, and when it snows chocolate. Joining us today is Susan Boyle. Susan is a drinks consultant, researcher, writer, storyteller, and performer based in Ireland. She writes about beer, presents drinks features on Irish national television and radio, and hosts tasting and masterclasses. Susan is also one half of Two Sisters Brewing, makers of Bridget's Ale. She is pursuing a PhD at the Technological University of Dublin, focusing on the importance of storytelling and place to beverages, and won an Outstanding Speaker Award at the Oxford Symposium on Food and Cookery for her research. Susan was recently named a Fulbright Creative Ireland Fellow at the Smithsonian Museum of American History. Hello, Susan! Hey, Joshna, how are you? I'm so well, my dear. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. Uh, Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. You are currently on a a lovely green island uh, on the other (laughs) side of the ocean from me here in Toronto. I certainly am. Small, wet, green island. Island. (laughs) We're in Ireland. We've had the wettest August on record for like many years. So we're hoping we'll have a slightly drier drier this month, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. We're used to things raining here, but that's why we're green and things grow. That well, this is that's the cost of that lusciousness. Wonderful. Um, I got a few things I want to talk about today, and one because we're we are in the same industry, you with mm-hmm. beer and drink, and me with food. Um, there is this issue that has come up around the James Beard Awards. Ah, yeah, right. We all know mm-hmm. them. They are, I think, casually referred to as the Oscars of uh, the you know our industry, industry yeah. indeed, in terms of high achievement. Um, and they are put out by the James Beard Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, an American-based foundation. James Beard was a gourmand let's say mm-hmm. um and so there's they're primarily restaurant awards right yes. but there are also media awards mm-hmm. uh books website blogs that sort of thing yeah um but the what has really uh, risen this uh right now is the idea that they have decided to suspend or cancel the awards for this year yeah i heard that josh now i think it's 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 and it's a really interesting reason why because we right. presume in these kind of reasons that it's just because we're living through these unprecedented circumstances in a pandemic but there, there's more behind this than the, yeah. just the virus <laughs> well this is it is so fascinating right and in fact it doesn't even seem as though the virus like the out of all the other issues they're dealing with the virus is sort of the the least of their worries right yeah uh so like the numbers are there are some there are hundreds of nominees for these Mm -hmm. restaurant awards uh right and it's some like 53 or 75 something like that actual awards that they gave out and when after the nomination process and then there's like a 200 person jury right that makes the choices this year, what netted out at the end was that while there were a handful, I think, of black chefs nominated for the awards, mm-hmm. there ended up being zero black chefs winning any of the awards. That's right. Which yeah. is fat. Well, the thing is that it's just not representative of the industry. Like you want an industry that rep that is representative and feels like you can have people involved in it so that you're representing different cultures, different backgrounds, different experiences. Right. And if you have an award system that the people who tend to win awards are of one specific background, then it doesn't represent and it doesn't leave space either, Josh. Now, this is more the thing. Like, yeah. there shouldn't be, 
like I think sometimes there's these conversations that I've gotten into about um about just how it's how important it is to take affirmative action on representation right. um and you don't want someone getting something just because they tick a box but right. you want space so that someone brilliant can be acknowledged and oh that's a nice way that to needs put it to be I like encouraged. that yep it's uh and th- to me when I when I first heard that I thought how fascinating that it's not just about being nominated right it's yeah. about it's about figuring out what what the diff- the distance might be mm-hmm. between the way black chefs exhibit excellence and yeah. what James Beard is looking for well that's so true right? as well it's like where are the standards like there's some very interesting stuff that's happening in a different industry because you referenced the Oscars at the moment and they've come out with some really interesting guidelines about how they want to see a more diverse um, Ah, film industry and that's going to trickle right down to the I think the Oscars they're aiming for this for is 2024 but they're hoping that by that stage there'll be like representation across everything like even the the backstage stuff the people who are involved in the set involved in costuming that it's not like you you need if you want representation you want these if you want to tell the stories of 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 people if you want to eat the food of people you need to see those people in kitchens in front of house writing about it as well it has to be like inclusivity doesn't just stop at one level it has to be throughout the whole system as well and that's really important i think like everyone eats food joshna like it's ridiculous that we even have to think about this like everyone eats like simple as that uh so and the one thing that really struck me about this is is the fact that that we still seem to have to work really hard to put this together yeah. right that and that to me also is a nod to how we understand who a chef is yeah that is so right? true and and as somebody who's never really been that caricature you know what i mean that mm-hmm. sort of cutout or that stereotype it is uh i get this you know mm-hmm. i understand this because my cooking and the way I approach the kitchen has has been always outside the lines of the yeah. canon, which is what James Beard really espouses. Mm-hmm. But they talk a little bit about that too, even just in 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 the differences of how how we cook, like the differences between being home cooks and and nurturing and just. Right actually eating at home versus those kind of experiences that get exalted in in kind of restaurant culture of like going out for a meal you know and and there's an awful lot to there's an awful lot to kind of unpick in relation to that in relation to privilege and position and even something as simple as like being able to set up a business and have like the right. ownership like I always think back to um, how like my background is as you know in lots of beer and brewing and that kind of side of things and historically it was women who were brewers because right, women right. didn't have premises of their own necessarily you know um so this is something that they could do in their own home they could make beer and they could make bread and they could sell this and that's how they could create and sustain an income for themselves independently mm. of anyone else you know um and it was only when things became more industrialized and breweries became things that happened in specifically purpose buildings that women became not part of the brewing story for a long period of time and i think that oh, okay. when you think of restaurants as well and how we look at these award ceremonies and who we put up there as the pinnacles of an industry um you have to think about like access it's much it's just easier for some people of particular economic means or particular backgrounds to be able to gain access to that and it excludes a lot of people so Mm -hmm. i think it's right that these awards are taking a step back and going how how do they make sure that they're not playing a part in continuing that story how do they shift the narrative 
That's right. I, I also appreciate it. Um, because in addition to this issue around race and, and unequal sort of representation around race, they also have uh, a shower, it seems, of reports and stories of inappropriate behavior, yeah, yeah. Uh, use of power and sexual harassment mm. from horrible, horrible, so horrible. many of both nominees and uh, would-be winners. Yeah, Right. And that like simultaneously, this is a serious one, too. Right. No, mm-hmm. no mention of uh, virus uh, yet at this yeah. point. Right. Or, killing <laughs> the, or the economic devastation of the industry. Yeah. No mention of that. No yet. mention of that. That small thing that just happened. Do you yeah. think that what happens is that there's an opportunity when when we've had this enormous paradigm shift that we're living in now to really start rethinking and um, what are what are the where do our values lie? Yes. Um, and I think. I would, you know, maybe it's the little Pollyanna optimistic person in me, but I would really hope um, that this huge shift that has happened in the last few months will give give us an opportunity to take a step back and to really think about um, what are what are where does our value system lie? What what are the traits that we want to encourage and include? And and hopefully with something like this would be worth taking that step back and going, hang on a second. If somebody wins an award, but they're an absolutely horrible person, if I go to their restaurant, for example, and I patronize them and mm. I spend my money in that environment, I'm part of that problem then too, right. Josh. And I don't yep. want to be like, that's ridiculous. That's like me sitting there eating something delicious for my own pleasure and not thinking of all the lives of the people that have been affected around that's that. It. And I don't, I don't want to play a part in that, Yep, you know? I am with you. Uh, and I, and delightfully, uh, our friends at James Beard Foundation agree. Yay. Right. And I, I was really, I was really Pretty, I know, pretty impressed to see that the way they described this break uh, was to for them to take a moment to reconsider mm. what excellent uh, behavior yes. or skills look like from chefs. Right, that is so hopeful, isn't it? I and think it's- so too. It's really, and also that they're taking the real time to do this. This isn't just a, hey, we're not having an award ceremony this year because, you know, the global situation. It's like, hang on a second, guys. We're going to actually really step back from this. We're going to really work out where our values lie. We're going to really look at what excellence means in our industry at a time when excellence is more important than ever for the industry's survival. Right. Um, And they're going to come back and celebrate that. I'm very excited about that, Joshna. Uh, Now, I will say, though, while that is incredible, Incredibly promising, exciting yeah. news. I had higher hopes for what my, you know, this was my year. I was very excited about mm-hmm. my book being yes. nominated and in the running. Yes. Uh, so I hope <laughs> that they have some sort of creative catch-all two years so in our, you know what I mean, uh, I in their too, consideration. Joshua. Because it's, uh, you know what, this is a really interesting thing. It's these kind of, there's the bigger picture, but then there's the really personal disappointments um, right. that we've all had to deal with in, in the last few months. And I think, yeah, you, you need to be celebrated too. And the work that you've done should have the opportunity to reach different audiences too. So hopefully there will be some way, some way around yes. that. And that uh, this I look forward to it. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I was hoping so. I was like, oh no, James Beard, this was supposed to be my year. <laughs> Oh uh, no, Josh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> but anyhow, this is a this is a much better idea. And and I wish like honestly How selfless I wish well of you is navigating just... through. <laughs> oh, I think I'd still be just going, I'm meant to be a winner. <laughs> no, I was like, this was my, I'm going to, right? Anyhow, uh, it's very interesting move. I I, I'm, I cannot wait to hear what they come up with mm-hmm. um, because it really could be 
a beautiful way that we start to push this change throughout the entire industry if we yeah. really redefine who chefs are and what excellent behavior yeah. you know or excellent sort of uh traits are among mm-hmm. those chefs uh that could be very very exciting Susan, there's something you'd like to talk about. What's uh, what's uh, what? What are you thinking about? Yeah, Josh. So I've been having these ideas mulling around in my head for um for quite a while about the idea of like what healthy food is. Um, okay. And how I really think that we need a little bit of a rethink on that. Part of it is fueled. It's fueled by a couple of things. Um, my kind of hatred but inability to look away from Instagram is definitely one of those okay Um, and I find that on that platform um which I'm learning to come to terms with that it's there's just so much stuff that's about like what is what is healthy and how what we eat or what we choose to eat equates to a level of healthiness and then also there's a level of blame that's pushed back on people as well who aren't aspiring to right this notion of healthiness and I just I just hate that I want to strip that out because I feel that there's been, especially around female bodies, there's been so much guilt that's associated with um, with how people look and how how food plays into that and mm-hmm. factors into that. I just prefer if they were separated. And from a very personal level, my mom died um, in the new year this year, completely right. suddenly and completely out of the blue. Oh, it was, that was a heartbreaking thing. I remember was, that moment. It it still is, Josh. Indeed, it, indeed. It, it, it still is a very um, a very difficult thing to live with. Um, but it also like it was playing on my mind too because I I have this inkling feeling that she maybe could have got better health care earlier if people had seen some of the symptoms of her heart condition a little earlier. Okay. Um, but she was a woman who she got her she had a double knee transplant last year, so she wasn't as active as she normally was, and she put mm-hmm. on a bit of weight, you know. Um, and I believe that um that there are aspects of her diet that were seen as being causal to the condition that she was in and I don't know if they were or not but I'd like to separate that out really mm-hmm. and I'd like people to get healthcare based on um on their condition and on 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 what they're showing rather than being told well you know what if you lose a few, few pounds everything will be okay oh man because I just don't think that I just don't think it's healthy and no. and what we think is healthy I see so many people on social media platforms who are clearly not eating um full diets like not getting the nutrition that they that they obviously would need for all the healthy aspects of you and I just I I question this um when we confuse health and healthy um where that kind of lies and it's just it's it's a frustration for me uh, I am with you 100%. Um, uh, I come across it a lot in the work that I do because yeah. it's uh, public sector institutions, grassroots community work. Mm-hmm. Um, the the conversation around it's not just food that we need to get to people. Yeah. We need healthy food. And then yeah. there's like, well, who's deciding what that is? Exactly. Uh, right? Who, who makes those calls about what mm-hmm. healthy food is? And one of the things that I've come across with so much frustration mm-hmm. is that um, there, it is one specific perspective. Yeah. Right? Michael, Michael Pollan calls it nutritionism. Yes. Right? <laughs> which I think is completely accurate. Um, yeah. However you understand that, the thing that I think is perhaps most uh, impactful for people is this notion of somebody in a white coat wagging their finger at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that and and that implicit, like, but no question, health and healthy eating 
is yeah. something that we have to sacrifice for. Yeah, and I it just it goes against everything in my being, Josh. Now, food is so much more as well than just this nutritional yes. component. It's about family. It's about communities. It's about um, things that grow in the ground. And it's also, do you know what? There's an awful lot of privilege that's involved in it. The idea that you can choose what to eat and then condemn other people for the choices that maybe they can't make like you know um even just the skills of being able to cook like physically not even like actually the technique i'm talking about having the pots having a kitchen and being able to stand at a stove and do a thing yes (laughs) and having the time to do that like there's so much more that needs to be kind of unpicked in this and i i just really feel i feel strongly that um that when it comes down to then a health thing um that i just want to deeply wish that that there's some way of getting getting over this kind of notion of yeah what is what is healthy from one perspective and realizing a more holistic aspect to it you know definitely there's one of the things when you were speaking that I was really thinking about Mm -hmm. was the irony about the fact that um that but particularly for people who live in big bodies, right? Bigger, yeah. larger bodies. That is always the thing that a doctor says, right? Is a yeah, bit of a running always. joke. Uh, I have this experience in my life um, where you might go into the doctor's office for like a skin condition. Mm. You know what I mean? Or like a, yeah, period, you know, a little itchy eye or something. And the <laughs> yeah. solution will invariably be to lose a few pounds. Yeah. Uh, and then it'll sort itself out. Like that. that is a chronically reliable thing. Um, but the, the, what, what really strikes me here is that at this point, like at the point after your mom had two knees replaced, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and sort of around her, you know, her very sudden death, that yeah. conversation connecting her diet to help, you know, to her yeah. mortality, you know, to her mortality yeah. that way. Oh, I had, I literally had a conversation with her doctor after she died and I was in absolute shock and I was like, how did this happen? And the doctor said, your mom was overweight. She couldn't oh. live forever. And I was like, I know she couldn't live forever, but I didn't expect her to like be reasonably okay and then not like just yeah. she seemed fine like her conditions was her legs were swollen she was short of breath and she was a bit tired and like it was the week after christmas you know right who isn't yeah that Jan- <laughs> it's a very solid january position right yeah, yeah i was like i felt like that for most of january i don't think she was feeling any particularly worse but these these are signs of like um of of heart trouble and it right. it wasn't it wasn't picked up and she, like her father had heart trouble too as well so this and and he died suddenly when he was in his oh um, no his well listen come so on these are these are completely clear pointers and then for someone to say oh it's because your mom was overweight it just i i just i i just don't don't trust that i think that there are more like yes i know that the weight thing is something that can be addressed but i don't know if it's chicken and egg i don't know i don't know where it sits i'm well, not a medical doctor either yeah. <laughs> i see have to acknowledge that but it's you know when people are being denied health care because there's a very obvious um thing that you can focus on and instead of looking at what can be ameliorated to actually make a difference to the quality of life and rather than the long term oh just you lose a few pounds and everything will be okay right um i think there's other things that need to be addressed too and on that note though what's really cool is that there has been new guidelines that have been passed in canada 
Okay. And one of them is really wonderful. It says that they're, um, and this is coming from um, the Canadian Medical Association Journal had, had published this piece on it. And what they right. said is that they are looking for um, for a guideline that um, you have to, that a physician has to ask permission before they discuss their patient's weight with them. And I was like, oh, that would be just really lovely. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> then we could get like, you know, the important things. And then if they want to do an add-on about like, oh, I should lose a bit of weight, then they can actually give some maybe constructive um, help around that um, for that person. Well, and I, I like it even just from a mindfulness perspective. Yeah. Right. For we just have to pause for a minute before everybody leaps in the direction of vilifying fat and fatness. Yeah. Like, Like, can we, can we slow this down? There's so many things I've even thought about it with the whole um with the with the way we've had to like socially distance more. And I remember my first encounter of going to the supermarket a couple of months ago um, and realizing how people negotiate space differently and right. really noticing that there's a lot of gender differences in how people negotiate space like women in general and this completely generalization is from personal observation tended to be more aware of how much space they physically took up yes um, and I think this happens um this this happens in, in bodies that have become public in those kind of mm-hmm. ways because mm-hmm. of the size and the space that they take up that there's um uh, a this kind of the the owning of space that there's so many pe- people who who never have to consider the space that they take up in the world definitely um, you know and and i don't think i think women are particularly aware of the space that they take up and i think larger bodies are even more aware of the space that they take up in in the world um, yep. and it you know it it's just an interesting consideration and I'm I'm glad that yeah that if it's just not the first thing at people's minds that then maybe someone will get the help that my mom didn't and that would be yeah well this is it right and to your point earlier about it needing to be more holistic how Mm -hmm. we just understand the role that food plays uh the varying reasons why some bodies are bigger than other bodies yeah right we we just tend to be really easy with the notion that it's all because people are gorging on sweets in a closet somewhere right like that is just sort of how we understand this. So Susan, something that has been really interesting to me is to observe the kind of ripples uh, of curious things that are happening as a result of this wild pandemic that we're living in, right? There are so many offshoot things that we had, Mm -hmm. like for a crazy off example is uh, that we here in Toronto, Mm -hmm. uh, um, don't like clothing donation boxes and places where you would go to, you know, leave old clothes. And after you've yeah. done a spring clean, they were overrun because oh, yeah, that everybody was at too. home, right? <laughs> everybody was at home and cleaning and sorting it all Leaning up. out. Yeah. That the, like the boxes were spilling over because we couldn't mm-hmm. manage it. Right. And I thought that was so interesting to think about stuff like that. So in that same spirit, I recently heard about, um, airlines, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously nobody is uh, hardly anybody is taking are, a flight yeah. anywhere. But uh, there are uh, there are catering companies who produce those meals that are served yeah. on airlines, right? Gate Gourmet is the name of one of them, mm-hmm. and they have been literally sitting on a stockpile of meals. Right? And they're all frozen too, Josh. And they're all exactly <laughs> right. They are all portioned and frozen with all of the right labeling and all of the yeah. things that you might need. And so what uh, Gate Gourmet has started doing and many other airlines have followed is to start just selling off these meals Mm -hmm. incredibly cheaply. Yeah. Right. And that to me is fascinating because uh, I I read about this and I read about people's responses to Mm -hmm. this. uh, And the thing that I thought was so great 
was that people were able to recalibrate their expectations, right? Very <laughs> yeah. quickly. All of a sudden, when you're getting this meal at a deal for two bucks, yeah. it seemed to be much more enjoyable than the frustration of, out, yeah, right? A, when a, you're a actually really on the plane, ticket, yeah. right? When you're like, I paid this much for the ticket and this and is this the lousy is meal. Yeah, because yeah, I've always, like, I have to admit that I have a soft spot for those meals. I like the way I they're laid too. out. And I, I just, too. and maybe it's because when I started flying, things were a little bit more, there was a little bit more glamour, there's a little bit more effort. I, I remember, wasn't yes. on the scene, you know. So we weren't hopping all over Europe, but when we went, it was like a bit of a bigger thing. And, totally. And and so I suppose maybe there's that nostalgia involved in it. I love this this idea of seeing what it's like at home. I imagine though that they have to that they have to calibrate some of the flavors and that it tastes a little differently because I know that when you're at altitude you don't taste the same way as you do That's when right. you're down down on the ground. So I, I, have, I believe that they make things a little saltier. Um, and I know that particularly there was some great things where um, I know that a BA, British Airways, used to test all their wines um, at altitude as well. Yes, so yes, that that's right. certain aromatics that carried through better. Um, apparently thing, champagne huh? is the thing to go for because the bubbles help with like a that's better right. experience. That's right, I read that too. Um, and to realize in many cases, I think I heard that people, that, that the preference was for perhaps a lower a cheaper wine or a, lo- a lower mm. quality wine because of the way it performed 40,000 yeah. feet in the air and because it's uh, a little right. bit more what you what you you taste these things straight off they they don't need to have that subtlety or that nuance that um that you can mull over and enjoy when you're when you're down on terra firma that like up in the air you're looking for things that like taste like wine and are very kind of recognizable as well um i think it's just such a fun um a fun fun idea but also i suppose on a very practical level like the food waste that would potentially come from these stockpiles of of meals and if there's any opportunities that they can go to people and and help them out so that you can have a freezer full of things that you can throw in that's already pre-portioned that's that's done um there's and also i can just imagine what it's like to pick them up and what are you getting like what happens if you just got all the breakfast stuff yeah yeah yeah. all the omelets all the weird breakfast burritos and omelets i know uh i thought it was so fascinating like I'm I I I quite enjoy an airplane meal, mm-hmm. uh, and right I I there it's not great food. No, but I like I have time right. Um, but it fascinated me to see because they also um I think that there was some talk of the airlines also selling um their their wine supplies. Oh. Right, they were selling Lots bottles, of tiny little bottles. Yeah, and they were <laughs> selling those little guys, the little shop bottles for like two ninety yeah. nine or something like that a piece. Uh, which is really, really interesting. Well, uh, I know that there's a, a brewery here in Ireland, which is one of the first breweries to bring in canning lines for like the smaller sized beer cans. Um, and they were able to get an exclusive on Aer Lingus and on a couple of other airlines. And it was a, like, that was what their business was based on. It was like supplying to airlines. And it was simply because they had the right packaging for it. So a lot of this, you know, um, selling to a certain place is to do with how especially an airline is to do with just the size of what you have like you know can you package you know your little snacks in those tiny little packets you know and I also had a fascinating conversation randomly in a bar in Madrid with um, a girl that I literally just bumped into into in a bar um, and she was saying that her main job was she was working in the alcohol industry but supplying to airlines and she came up with the idea of putting like um 
like packets of alcohol so it's like the pre-portioned flat pack alcohol that she came up with oh. that idea which is wow. really clever yeah yeah <laughs> so um and she was like it's it's kind of one of these like how did you make all your money and she's like uh-huh. well let me tell you about what I did um yeah and she sold it all throughout Africa I think she was based in Botswana um and she yeah was able to sell into like South Africa and a number of other um places on the continent and and that was her claim to fame she came up with that idea and I was like that's like really clever so sometimes like solving a packaging question um can really kind of improve things and I've noticed that as well with them with craft beer sales in in Ireland, it's been notoriously difficult to get your beer on taps uh, behind Irish bars because they tend to, those taps tend to be owned by larger beer companies and uh, who okay. don't want to fill yep. up the space, right? Yep. I know this. But yes. When we okay. went into um, pandemic, people started ordering things to their houses, so any of the smaller craft breweries or the craft breweries that were producing beer in cans it meant that all of a sudden they had access to so many more people because they could send out cans in the post that weren't going to break there was no glass there's no issue with that you know and it it was uh, I talked to a number of brewers who said that it was a real lifeline for the breweries um that they were selling way more stuff direct to people and it was simply because you know maybe last year the year before a couple years before they made the decision to move away from bottles and move into cans and cans are lighter and they're easier to ship and they don't break so more not knowing that beer. soon enough they were gonna yeah. they were gonna have to start shipping their beer all over beer, the place. yeah it's like these things that you just don't know are going to actually be quite savvy moves um that end up having this kind of repercussion I love it. It's like when we, this is very much when one door closes and another few windows open. Yeah, up. Yeah, the window it's opens. It's really, really sweet. I would love to try those airplane foods. So I just want to know what they're eating in first class, Josh, now, you know? Oh, good call. <laughs> I love that. What's the swankiest airplane meal I can get? That's what I want to try. <laughs> Okay, Susan. So I heard this really lovely thing uh, that I want to talk about at this Mm -hmm. moment in time. I find myself really excited about like delightful stories. Yes, Uh, I think we need a bit of delight, Josh. Right, exactly. (laughs) So apparently, uh, sometime in August, I believe, there was a ventilation backup in the Lindt factory, in the Lindt chocolate factory in Switzerland, Mm -hmm. right? And it's where I believe they were grinding cacao nibs. Oh, right. Wow. So, so yes. what ended up happening with this backup on the ventilation was mm-hmm. that the exhaust pushed out ground cacao nibs into oh, the atmosphere, right? Throughout, wow. and, and the, because there were also high winds, right? Yeah. It was this cocktail of uh, backed up exhaust plus high yeah. Swiss winds uh, that culminated in this amazing snow of chocolate in this, That's you know, incredible. in the town, in the area around the factory. Wow. Uh, right? That's and like everybody... all my childhood dreams come true, isn't it? It's a little Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I like... was like this. I can't even. I'm sure that there are many people were around who were like, this was a real problem. Poor, I mean, a dog. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, really like I'm sure on the real. Like if you did washing out in the line, you'd just done a whitewash and you were this hanging is, it off. Like sure, that's going right? to be a problem. But my goodness, I just. But I what a thing. And, to, and yeah. just to stand tongue out ready to catch a little bit of that from like what a lovely thing uh and and the the what it what i felt was so sweet 
was that it, in 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 classic Swiss way where they have you yeah. know their their wonderful uh, neutrality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they the, they were just like this is they were very matter of fact about like this is what happened. Back up, yes, yes. We, you know we apologize for any inconvenience. But I was like, what a dream! I hope some people went like running, you know, like a dervish yeah. in the streets to to it's appreciate just, it's just, all. Of that. It's just a cute idea, and I think at these like just the idea that. That something like that can happen, and also I'm really glad it was a chocolate factory. I'm sure there's other things that these That's ventilation things happen, and it's horrible things happen. Right, as and well. we've heard um, actually uh, mm. there was a story about the the factory where they make sriracha. Oh right? yes, yeah, uh, and, yeah. And there was this issue about the about the screens <laughs> yeah, the and the and the fumes, and the, yeah. the the filters that they needed to put on the exhaust, mm-hmm. and there was a battle about whether they were going to do it, uh, yeah. and that would expunge all this this capsaicin, the capsicum yeah. into the air, and people's eyes were eyes burning. Were burning. Like, yeah, no, that's right? like it the was wild and insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when, when things go wrong at a nearby factory, uh, it can be a very things exciting. Go really wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Congratulations, Lynn. I, I think that's such a lovely story. If you're enjoying our podcast, you can support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow me at Joshna Maharaj on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow our guest, Susan Boyle, at Miss underscore Susan Boyle on Twitter and at Susan Boyle Instagram on Instagram. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato and Dennis Coyne with original music by Dave Bell. Thanks for listening. 